Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. You know, when you, you meet people like Mary and Jeremy and you, uh, you just see them, you, you never know, just on the surface, what they are going through. And isn't that true of most everyone? When you meet people, you, you really don't know. You don't know their struggles. We make assumptions on people that aren't fair. Maybe someone's having a bad day and we write them off or dismiss them or we just knee jerk on them when we don't realize, we have no idea what they may be going through, what they might, what they might be dealing with, and aren't, isn't everyone entitled to a bad day? <laughs> And so I'm just suggesting to you that one of the things that uh, Christ followers should be about and one of the things the church should be about is being compassionate and loving to other people. Wow, in this world we're living in, don't we need a good dose of love? (laughs) The Bible says God is love and if he is love and we are his kids, we ought to be a reflection of who he is. And what I've found is as I get to know people and as I interact with people, everyone is going through something. (laughs) And this series has been all about trying to help us understand you can get through what you're going through. And not just get through it, you can grow through what you're going through. You can be better in the middle of it, even stronger on the other side of it, because life is just going to be a series of problems. I have it on pretty good authority, unless Jesus returns, none of us are getting out of this thing alive. So we might as well figure out how to live. I believe in the sweet by and by, it's this nasty now and now that's giving me trouble. And so I'm just suggesting you there is a way. The Bible says he's called us to be more than conquerors. And when you read Acts 8, he said in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And so there is a way in the midst of all that we're going through and all that we're dealing with and the pain and the difficulty of life, there's a way to rise above it. There's a way to get out from under the circumstances. In fact, I believe unless you have within you that which is above you, eventually you succumb to what is around you and ultimately you fall into what is beneath you. So we all need Jesus. We all need his love and we should be a reflection of who he is. And this morning, we're gonna talk about how God can use the painful experiences of our lives to mentor us, to mentor us. You know what Mary was doing and sharing her story? She's, she's mentoring She's saying, this is what I've gone through, this is what we're going through, and I hope I can help someone else. And there are going to be thousands, literally thousands of people that will see her story. It's out there. And who knows who all are going to be blessed and encouraged by what she shared. Pain has a way of mentoring us, making us sensitive to other people. In fact, I don't think until you go through something you're really qualified or even capable of fully understanding what another person goes through. In fact, I've heard it said, I'll say again this morning, it is doubtful that God can use anyone greatly until they have been hurt deeply. And oftentimes, the greater the hurt, the greater the use. God will use the pain, he'll use the difficulty of life to mentor us so that, so that we can help someone else. Now, we all have received sympathy. Sympathy is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful emotion. Uh, We all have expressed sympathy. You know of someone going through something. Maybe you send them a sympathy card. Or maybe you write them a note. Deepest sympathy. It's a beautiful sentiment. It just means, I I feel for you. 
I'm sorry for what you're going through and I, I feel for you. I just want to acknowledge that I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain. I'm sympathetic to your pain. But there's a different level that comes when you go through something and you connect with someone else. It's called empathy. Empathy doesn't say I feel for you. Empathy says I feel with you. I might not have had the same experience that you've had, but I've had one. <laughs> My battle may not be your battle, but I'm fighting one. My pain may not be your pain, but I have pain and I understand what you're going through. And so there is a connection that is made on a deeper level when you have empathy. And that only happens when you've gone through something. That's why I just suggest to you this morning, let's don't waste our pain. <laughs> let's try to find out what God is trying to tell us and teach us so that he can enable us to help someone else coming behind us that needs some empathy. And so this morning, we're gonna talk a little bit about how this thing of pain can mentor us. I remember hearing about the little kids that were playing upstairs and little boy and his little sister and all of a sudden, the little boy screams out, he's crying, he's hurting and mom yells up, what's going on you two up there? And he said, she pulled my hair. And the mom says, honey, she's younger than you. She didn't know that hurt. In a little while, she screams out and she says, what's going on up there? And she and the little boy answers and says, she knows it hurts now. <laughs> There's a connection you have when you go through something that's painful. I heard about a psychologist who had studied the way Christians interact. And the psychologist said the way most Christians interact reminds him of porcupines on a cold night. He said because of the cold, they're forced together to stay warm. And it's a survival mechanism. And so once they get together and they're in community and they're connected with one another, then suddenly they realize, wow, these people know a lot about me. <laughs> I'm kind, of, I'm kind of close to these people. I don't know if I'm comfortable with all that. I'm, I'm, I'm touching some of these people. I don't know if I like that. And they said, out come the quills, and they drive themselves away. And then because of the cold and because of survival, they're forced back into community. And again, in community, they start connecting with each other. And he said, all of a sudden, they say, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. They know my stuff, and I know their stuff, and I don't know if I'm happy with that. And out come the quills, and they drive themselves away. He said this happens. They go back and forth and back and forth. And he said when I asked him about it, he said they call this fellowship. It's called fellowship. He said to me it looks like some weird religious dance. And I have to tell you, we do the weird religious dance, don't we? We get out there and we try to be on our own. And by the way, when you're in pain, the natural reaction to being in pain is you insulate and isolate. You just shut down and you don't really want to talk about it or talk to anyone else. And so you, you, you tend to do that. And I just say this morning, it's one of the most dangerous things you can do is to isolate and insulate. When you read Romans chapter 14 and verse seven, the Bible says, none of us live to ourselves alone. None of us die to ourselves alone. Someone has well said the most meaningful word in the English language is relationship. God designed us that way. He designed us to have meaningful relationships with other people. And when you go through something and you're dealing with something, you need other people. You need someone to sympathize and someone to empathize. And one of the dynamics of Acts chapter four, that early church, was this Greek uh, thing called koinonia. The Bible says in uh, uh, Acts 4, they had all things common. It's the Greek word koinonia. It means that they shared things with one another. And then it means that they shared in things with one another. Sympathy, empathy. 
It means this church was being mentored through the persecution and the oppression of the day. And through that experience, they were connecting with each other in a meaningful way. And I'll just tell you, it's hard to receive that type of sympathy and that type of empathy if you're disconnected from the life of the church. The Bible refers to the church in 1 Corinthians 12 as the body of Christ. Paul would later say, we're all members, parts of the body. He would say, the eye never looks at the hand and says, I have no need of you. The eye is a tender part, the hand is a tough part, and we're all parts of the same body. And when you are not connected into the life of a church, you are in a position where it's difficult to get ministry and it's difficult to give ministry. That's why Paul would write in Ephesians 4 that the body, that what the body needs is, is supplied through a mechanism called the joints, the joints, the connecting parts of the body. My hand gets what it needs because it's connected to my body through my wrist. It's a connecting point. That's why in the life of our church, we try to connect you at a different points. Some of you through children or students or some of you through serving or the food pantry or some of you through missions and outreach or some of you through ministry here in the auditorium, some in security, some in medical, some, some in the parking lot, some in the lobby. We have different points of connection because we realize it's valuable because everyone belongs somewhere. And when you're connected into the life of the church, you can receive ministry and give ministry. When the church was much smaller, I, I was able to get around and actually see everybody. I could visit almost everyone. When you just have 100 people or so, you can get around and seeing everybody. And now as the church has grown as large as it has, and we have a, a staff, I've realized that the genius of a growing church is in scripture when it talks about the body ministers to itself. In other words, in Ephesians chapter four, the body is connected. In other words, we have groups, we have small groups, we have ministry groups, so that no one ever falls through the cracks, theoretically. <laughs> Where everyone is connected somewhere so no one goes through anything without someone knowing and responding to it. I thought I was doing a good thing one time. I heard one of our guys was in the hospital. So I thought I'd go see him. And he walked through the door and he looked shocked. And I said, well, hey, how are you? And he looked shocked. He said, uh, Am I worse than they've told me I am? <laughs> why, why are you here? <laughs> I thought, man, maybe my presence was not a blessing. <laughs> I scared his mules. <laughs> so and what I found out was his small group had been ministering to him. He had gotten everything he needed. When I showed up, I just scared him. <laughs> had a little lady say, well, well I'm going to have a little surgery. Are you going to come see me, Bill? I said, baby, you don't want to be that sick. <laughs> The point I'm making this morning is it is not possible. In fact, statistics say, and I'll just get back on my theme, but just as interesting. Statistics say about 115 people is all one pastor can effectively minister to. That's why the average church in America, by the way, is about 115. Because a church will soon outgrow the ability of one person to minister to it. So what do you say? Hey, we got 115, find somewhere else to go? <laughs> I'm just suggesting to you, I'm not in control of that side of it. I'm, as the church grows, you have to structure and allow for the growth. So we do that. As we get larger, we try to get smaller. As the church grows, we try to get people connected into the life of the church through groups, through ministry. Somewhere it's the connecting point where you give and receive ministries. That makes sense? And once you are connected, you don't fall through the cracks and no one should go through anything alone. Just as there's no unimportant parts in the body, there are no unimportant parts in the church. Everybody matters. 
And sadly enough, someone has cynically said, the church is the only army that tends to shoot its wounded. (laughs) And we ought to be a welcoming place. We ought to be a place where people hurt and they can be healed. We ought to be a place where people stumble in here and crawl in here where they can receive ministry. And I'm suggesting you that when you go through something, you are qualified to minister to someone else that's going through something, and we're all going through something. The great apostle Paul, he was writing to the church in Corinth because they had a a difficulty, a disagreement, a misunderstanding. Paul had told the church at Corinth, I'm gonna go on this missionary journey, and when I return, I'm gonna spend time with you. I I wanna minister to you, I wanna teach, we're gonna enjoy one another, we're gonna have a good time of ministry. Well, he doesn't come back, he doesn't show. So they're offended, they thought the very worst. Some of them said, well, how could this guy as a pastor give us his word when he didn't keep his word? He said he was coming back, he didn't come back. How could he be a man of God and represent God when he didn't keep his word to us? So they were getting very angry and there was some friction within that church over the fact Paul didn't come back and see them. Paul, on the other hand, was angry because what they did not know is Paul had been beaten and left for dead. He couldn't visit him because he was in ICU. He was dying in a pile over here. They had no idea. You know why? He didn't tell them. So what we had here was a failure to communicate. (laughs) In fact, I read an interesting article that said 80% of the problems in business is related to communication or the lack of it. Probably the biggest friction you have in any relationship is bad communication, making assumptions. The church had made some assumptions on Paul, Paul made some assumptions on them, and only when they got together and they worked through it did they understand what had happened, and through that experience, Paul was learning something, God was teaching him, God was mentoring him through pain so that he could teach the church how to effectively, uh, effectively minister to other people. Let me show you what it looks like. If you have a Bible, look in 2 Corinthians chapter one, if not, look at the screens, we have it for you here. In 2 Corinthians 1, here are two verses that are really the master class on how a church should react and respond to people in pain. Paul is writing saying, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this phrase, the Father of compassion. Now you might underscore that line, the Father of compassion. I'll come back to that. And note the next line, the God of all comfort. So he's the father of compassion, underscore the next line, the God of all comfort. Notice what he does. He comforts us, look, in all our troubles. Big ones, little ones, confusing ones, difficult ones, all our trouble. God is available, compassion, comfort. In all of our troubles, so that, now circle that, because <laughs> that's the church. God is here for us and he does these things for us so that, note now, so that we can then comfort those in any trouble. How do we do it? With the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God gave me something so now I'm qualified to give that which I have received. That's how it works. Man, I stumble in here and I'm hurting and I receive something of God and he's there for me and he helps me and he gets me through it. And it's not just so that I can say, okay, I'm better now. It's so that I can help someone else coming behind me that stumbled in right behind me that needs the help that I had received. First thing I wanna point out to you is what I'll call the compassion that is in my pain. The compassion. Did you see the phrase we read? The father of compassion? 
Now that's an interesting word, compassion. We use it a lot, but I don't know if we fully understand what's implied when the Bible refers to him as the God, the father of compassion. The word compassion, if you do an etymology of the word, you'll discover that when you break it apart, passion is to feel. We talk about someone who has passion, passionate person. Passion is to feel. The word calm is with, with. So when you put those together, you have compassion, you have the ability to feel with someone. And when the Bible describes God showing up in Paul's life, he says he comes into my life, notice he calls him the father, the father, that's relational. He is the father of, he is my father that is connected to me in the time of my pain. Now that's important because sometimes God, when you're going through a hurtful experience, he feels distant. Have you ever been hurt and you feel like your prayers didn't get above the ceiling fan? <laughs> you just haven't said so in a monologue with yourself? Have you ever gone through those experiences of life and you just didn't know if God really cared? That you believed in God, you know there is a God, you don't doubt his existence, you don't have those issues, you just feel like he is a distant deity. He's disconnected from me and disconnected from my pain. And when you think about it, you go, well, he is a pretty big God. He did step from nowhere to stand on nothing and speak everything into existence and it all stays there because he tells it to. So why would that God really care about me? This little non-entity. <laughs> you know what a non-entity is? It's a zero that's been erased. <laughs> I mean, why, why would God, look, well, you know, it's, it's, it's when the psalmist wrote in Psalm 8, what is man that thou should be mindful of him? Who am I, David said, that you would give me a thought and so when you're going through pain, you kind of cycle through those thoughts of he, he's away, he's distant, why would he care, does he care? I don't think he cares. <laughs> and you, you adopt this, this uh, position that many have of, of God and you, you find that you're more of a deist, right? You see God as being transcendent. Uh, one of the founding fathers of our country identified himself as a deist. He believed God created everything, but it was like he put the track together on the earth, put the train on the track and got it running and now he separates himself from it and just observes it. <laughs> Disconnected, detached from the goings on on the earth. And when you're in pain and God isn't responding the way you thought he would, it's easy to kind of adopt this view of a deist. To say, God, you're just transcendent. I don't doubt you, I know you're there. I just don't know how connected you are with me. It's like he hasn't looked down and discovered you yet. And when I read what Paul wrote as he's processing through the pain in his life, here's what he said. Listen to Ephesians 4, 6. This is important. He said, our God is one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But our God is one God. And then listen to what he says about him. He said, he is first above all. That's transcendent. Paul said he is a transcendent God. He's sovereign, he's in control. He is a God above all, but he didn't stop there. Keep reading with me. He is above all and through all, and then I think Paul may have been a Texan, and in you all, in you all, in y'all. He's in y'all. All right, enough of that. <laughs> what was he saying? He was saying God is not only transcendent, he's imminent. God is not just above us, above it all. He's in you all. <laughs> he's through it all. He's not just letting this thing go by and letting life happen to you and being this distant deity. He, he, you may not hear him and you may not see him and you may not always discern him, but he's there. He's there. Paul said he's above all, but he's also in us. 
He goes through it with us. I love the story of those three Hebrew teenagers in Daniel 3. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar said, renounce your faith or I'll throw you in the fire. And I love that because in that I found a lot of comfort with our situation. They said, listen, the God we serve is above it all. He's powerful enough. He can do anything. He has the power to keep us out of the fire. And then they say this, and this was a transformative thought for me in dealing with Cindy's issues and so many other things with her health. They said, but if not, but if not, God can, but if he doesn't, they said, we still aren't gonna quit. We're not renouncing our faith. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. I love what Mary said when she said, if we have another fight to fight, you know what? We're gonna fight it. Sometimes you just gotta get snow white, blazing bright mad and say by the grace of God, we're fighting this. I will not quit, I will not give up, I will not give in, I will not give out. The devil doesn't have the power to stop me and God won't. (laughs) So we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And those three Hebrew children, guess what? God didn't keep them out of the fire. They went into the fire, but read the rest of the story. (laughs) You know, I've read the last book of the Bible. You know what, we win. (laughs) I, I went ahead and I jumped a few chapters. And can I give you some good news about the bad news? If you know Jesus, this is the only hell you'll ever go through. You're going through it right now. We're going to better days, guys. And so the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar said, you know, by now these boys ought to be done. (laughs) They ought to be done, they've been at fire a while. And then he asked one of his advisors, he said, didn't we throw three of those guys in the fire? He said, I look and I see four, and the fourth one looks like the son of God. Wow, man, sometimes God doesn't get you out of trouble, you know what he does, he just gets right into trouble with you. (laughs) And man, when he's in trouble with you, you're gonna be, you're fine, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be good. You may have a bad day and it may not always feel that way, but remind yourself of who you are. Listen, remind yourself of whose you are. You belong to him and he cannot deny himself. And I'm just suggesting to your heart that sometimes we have to stop long enough to say, even though I can't always sense him and feel him or see him, he is a compassionate father that is with us and connects with us in the times of our pain. The writer of Hebrews wrote, I love this, he talks about this idea that God never leaves us, he never forsakes us. I've shared this with you, but it bears repeating, to leave and forsake actually are two different things. To leave someone means to remove yourself from their presence. To forsake someone means to emotionally disconnect from them. You can be with someone you're emotionally disconnected from. You can be away from someone you're emotionally connected to. And God is saying, when it comes to you and me, I will never remove my presence from you, leave you. I will never emotionally disconnect from you, forsake you. He's the father of compassion. I love what David wrote about when he wrapped his head around that in the 139th Psalm. He said, if I could ascend into the heavens, I'd find you there. He said, if I were to descend into the lowest parts of the earth, There you are. He said, where can I go to escape your presence? No matter where you go, God is. He'll never send you somewhere he's not there already. 
when he invited Noah and his family in Genesis 7, by the way, the first invitation in the Bible, Genesis 7, come thou and all thy house into the ark. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say go into the ark. (laughs) Now that's a distinction with a difference. If he had said go into the ark, that means he's telling them to go somewhere he wasn't. He's saying come into the ark, meaning he was already in there waiting on them. I'm just saying, if it's the fire, if it's the flood, whatever you go through, whatever word or metaphor you want to use to describe your, if you feel like you are drowning in these waters, whatever, wherever you're circum, you can't go somewhere that God is not there. There's a compassion. Second word I want you to see is not just compassion, but the comfort in my pain. What do I mean by that? Compassion indicates God will join me. Comfort indicates what God is going to do for me when he gets there. It's an interesting word. 10 times in this chapter, you read the word comfort. And when you study it, it's the Greek word uh, parakletos. Jesus in John 14 said, I won't leave you like orphans. I'll send the spirit to come to you. He will be the comforter, the paraclete. It's the idea of parakletos, paraclete, uh, the Holy Spirit. It means someone to come alongside of you, to help you and give you, listen, everything you need to get you through what you're going through the presence of the Holy Spirit comforts you, consoles you, empowers you, energizes you, forgives you, motivates you, gives you a reason to get out of bed, gives you a reason to fight another day. He's inside, come on, we got this. (laughs) I'm not gonna do it without you, you can't do it without me, so together we're an unsinkable team, let's go get it. And so you have this motivation within you, and Paul said, I saw him as the father of compassion, and I saw him as the God of comfort. Indicating power, he didn't see him, he saw him as father when it came to compassion, but when it came to comfort, he saw him as God, meaning he's powerful. He has the power to comfort. He has the power to console. He has the power to give me everything I need. And here's the third thought. It's what I'm gonna call the compassion in the pain. Did you write that little, or did you circle those little words, so that? Paul said, here's what I found when I was beaten and left for dead. Here's what I found when people I felt had forsaken me and didn't understand me, and some had even judged me. He said, I found God came to me. He was the father of compassion. And I found in my deepest need, at my darkest hour, I found he gave me comfort. He said to me, son, I love you. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna get through this. It may seem dark and it might seem difficult and it might seem like a long pull, but you're gonna be all right. I'm not leaving you, I'm not forsaking you. I'm gonna get you through what you need. I'm gonna get you through this thing. You're gonna be okay. And here's why I'm gonna get you through this, so that you can help somebody else that's coming behind you. There's somebody else that's gonna need what you're getting, so that. That's the commission. That's what we're called to do. Can I tell you something? If you're going through something this morning, one of the most therapeutic things you can do for you is do something for someone else. One of the most therapeutic things you can do for yourself is to minister to someone else. You say, Bill, with what I'm going through, I just don't think I can get involved anywhere in the life of the church. Well, can I tell you again, it might be the best thing you could do for you is get involved somewhere in the life of the church. Because all of a sudden you're in a position to be connected, to receive, and to give. It's a healthy relationship. We're not a perfect church. Good night. I don't even like everything we do. (laughs) I don't even believe everything I've ever said. 
But if I know my heart, if I know the heart of this church, our desire is truly to connect people with God, to see people connected to one another, to do it as effectively and efficiently as we possibly can. Even though we may fail at it many times because we don't have a perfect leader, but you know what? We serve a perfect savior. He cannot, he cannot fail. And when I look into the Bible, one of the things I found that Jesus said to his disciples, he said in John 13, 35, he said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples. If you're doctrinally pure, <laughs> no, he didn't say that. <laughs> if you live a perfect life, he didn't say that either. If you give everything you have, wish he had said that, but he didn't say that. He said, if you love one another. The most powerful force in this world is love. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for them who despitefully, you know what I've found about people? If you really genuinely find it in your heart that you actually hate someone, could I give you something important to do? Pray for them. Now listen, your prayer may not change them. They may be as mean as a snake till the day they die. May not change it. You know what it'll do? It'll change you. It'll change you. And God may not get them to respond to you in the way you hope for or pray for, but he may send other people in your life you weren't even looking for because his word never returns void. The most powerful thing we have at our disposal as a church is to love. And let me tell you, folks, that's the thing we're going to be judged for one day before God. How much did we love? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you that in the midst of pain, you teach us things, you mentor us, you prepare us for effective ministry. Thank you for Mary and Jeremy, for them sharing a piece of their story. I pray for her today, I pray for their family. Father, I pray today for those in this room and those watching and those who will watch. Lord, help us to realize you are in the midst of our pain. You're not a distant deity, you do care. I pray for those who may never have done what Mary did and never have just surrendered to you, that this might be the moment when they say, Lord Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And Father, I pray you'll encourage every hurting and broken heart. We pray, Father, for those in Pittsburgh today who are going through the terrible tragedy of the shooting at the synagogue there. We pray for the families of those who are lost for the impact on the community and upon our country, we pray for the law enforcement officers who are injured. And Lord, we know we're in a dark, evil world where people do terrible things. So now more than ever, I pray the church will be a place that genuinely loves people, that we are truly a reflection of who you are. Father, I pray you'll allow our church to have that impact. And now, Lord, I, I pray you'll bless the afternoon festivities, MetFest. I pray that we have just a ton of people here just to laugh and have fun. The kids have a great time. Keep us safe and bless that activity. And if there's one here this morning, before they go home, just need somebody to pray for them, I pray now as soon as I dismiss, they'll make their way here to the front. Let one of these great people here just encourage them and pray over them before they go home. Father, thank you for the joy it is to know Jesus and for the thrill it is to make you known. In your name I pray, amen. God bless you, see you.
Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.